There are two readings this morning. The first one is from Joshua 1, verses 1 to 9, which you can find on page 216 in your Bibles. And the second from Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10, page 1111, 1111. Joshua chapter 1, page 216. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Acts chapter 16, page 1111. Paul's vision of the man in Macedonia. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for a moment. Fathers, we gather here as your people, like that little group of people deciding to cross from Asia Minor into Macedonia to take the gospel to Europe, like uh, the people of God gathered on the edge of the River Jordan going into the Promised Land. So we wonder what the next step for us should be. We pray that you would speak to us as a community, as a Christian community, but also that you would speak to us as individuals that we might know where to step forward. Speak to us from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, last week, um, as always uh, during the last week of September, uh, I was in Scotland with some friends on a fishing trip. Now, let me pause for a moment there, because when I was at Theological College, I was told that the first sentence of a sermon should grab everyone's attention and be as inclusive as possible. And I'm conscious in starting my sermon like that that I've already lost half of you. So I'll bash on. But there I was in Scotland fishing, and it so happened that on the Friday of the week, the monsoon hit this country, and the Ryder Cup was rained off. I've lost the other half of you now. And, um, and a ferocious gale uh, swept through the east, the east coast of Scotland. Fly fishing in such conditions is extremely difficult and can be hazardous. Sharp hooks start whipping around your ears, and the key is to harness the strength of the wind and fish with it, not against it, thus greatly increasing your chances of catching something. You will not be surprised to know that I failed dismally in this attempt, and my despair was only relieved, or I suppose as a competitive person slightly deepened, by regular text messages from my nephew, who's a much better fisherman than me, who was catching a salmon about every half hour. So as with fishing, so with church life, we need, as a church, to be moving, to be cooperating with the wind of the Spirit. We neither should be opposing it, uh, or, uh, and that can get us into all sorts of difficulties, uh, and, uh, nor should we be fighting in our own strength. We need to be moving with the Spirit of God. Now, this is our Vision Sunday, as Pete said. My apologies to those who are visiting us who are not there for part of our lives, that some of what I have to say is very much directed towards us as a, as a church community rather than looking out beyond us. And I apologize that you have to sit in for a little bit on sort of in-house business in that way. But I hope, nevertheless, you will find it interesting perhaps to see what a church that is thriving, not that we are very far from perfect, as everybody knows, but there are lots of people who come here, and it's very encouraging to see what God is doing in our midst, and we hope that you'll find that interesting. I've chosen these two wonderful passages of Scripture on which to base this sermon, Joshua as he awaits uh, going into the Promised Land, and Paul as he prepares to go into Europe with the Gospel. Let me explain why. It seems to me that always God moves His people forward. There is in Scripture always this sense of God taking His people on to the next thing, as, of course, He wins the world for Himself, wins the world back from Himself, from its rebellion and sin. For Joshua, that place was the land of Canaan, and the occupation of the promised land then changed the world's history forever. And, of course, we're deeply affected by it still today, the fact that that became the land of Israel. For Paul, the challenge was Europe, and the, proclam and the proclamation of the gospel to Europe, of course, changed the world forever and changed our world dramatically, the fact that the gospel came across from Asia Minor into First Macedonia. And on both occasions, there were good reasons presented for not going where the wind of God's Spirit directed. You may recall, if you're familiar with your Old Testament story, Old Testament history, that Joshua had been one of the spies who had been sent out 40 or so years earlier to check out the land west of the Jordan. It's all written up in Numbers chapter 13. And Caleb and Joshua came back and said, the land is good, we should go in now. But they were outvoted by the timorous uh, their timorous colleagues, 
And so the people of Israel wandered in the desert uh, for another 40 years until we get to that place where uh, our first reading came from. So they, they missed their chance uh, by being fearful because of the spies' report. And what of Paul? Well, in many ways, in Acts 16, his Asian mission had been going really well. Despite opposition, there was great encouragement, both in the recruitment of Timothy, just before he heads over to Macedonia, and in the growth of the churches. People were being converted, churches were being established, people were being discipled. There was much to keep him in Asia. And, uh, and they assumed that they should keep doing what they were doing, stay in the Asian comfort zone, keep doing what you've always done. But you see, when you look at verse 7 in Acts 16, you see that the wind was blowing in a different direction. The Spirit of Jesus prevented them from continuing where they were. The Spirit was blowing them towards Macedonia and the opening up of the gospel for Europe, well out of their comfort zone, well out of their comfort zone. But did you notice in verse 10, it said this, when Paul had seen the vision, when he had seen the vision, we got ready at once. I think that's a great verse in Scripture. When Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. I wonder if you've seen the vision of this church. Are we all on the same page? Are we moving forward towards the same goal? I put it to you that as soon as God's people sit back and think we will stay where we are, switch, if you like, from mission to maintenance, then we lose the plot. We step out of the wind of the Spirit. It's interesting in the case of Joshua, that refusal to take the opportunity before them when the first opportunity came, uh, when the spies went out, not only left them where they were, but worse than that, they began to mutter that it was better to be back in Egypt. Take us back to Egypt, Moses, they said. We don't want to go into the promised land because there are giants there, they said. They weren't, of course, but they thought their problems seemed gigantic to them going forward, as they can do to us sometimes. But not only did they stay where they were, but they began to say, we were better off in Egypt. We were better when we're not God's people at all. Maintenance rather than mission leads first to backsliding and then eventually to renunciation of the faith altogether. And you'll see that amongst certain church communities in our own generation. So where is the wind of God's Spirit blowing us? What Jordan River have we to cross? What land have we to occupy? What vision has God set before us that we should uh, obey at once? Well, uh, I mentioned at the 8 o'clock service that I found that my 60th birthday, which I went through, it was really encouraging at 8 o'clock. Somebody came up to me afterwards, and when I said I was just had my 60th birthday, they said, Andrew, we thought you were about 45. I thought, well... <laughs> These are the sort of people you want to have in your church, I thought. Anyway, <laughs> I found my 60th birthday quite a moment for reflection, and, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and I have uh, sort of thought about sort of five years. I suppose 65 is when most people tend to think in terms of retirement still, although I think a bit, perhaps a little less, a bit longer for most of us than we used to, and it's getting longer every time you open your newspaper, I realize that. But uh, I've got, I set myself kind of six five-year goals that I wanted to share with you this morning. What, am, what do I feel as the vicar leading the church that we should try to achieve over the next uh, five years? I'm told by those who, um, who know about these things, like our esteemed uh, former curate, Will Pearson G., that any military campaign should not be untaken without securing your supply line. So my first two-year goals are about securing our supply line. 
and I imagine that that was necessary for Joshua too as he went across the Jordan. So my first two are, in a sense, about uh, who we are and the resource that we need to be who we are. We need to maintain the inclusive evangelical position of St. Andrews, combining an emphasis on both word and spirit. There are quite a few great churches in Oxford, Anglican churches, free churches, independent churches. And thanks to the initiative of many of the pastors who meet together under the Love Oxford banner, there is now far greater mutual respect uh, than, and cooperation than there has been in the past. There's a real sense in which all the Bible-believing churches in Oxford are working together to uh, present as faithfully as we can the gospel with our different emphases uh, to our city. We are Anglican in challenging Anglican times. You might well feel that there are giants of opposition in that land just to be Anglican is quite a gigantic challenge over the next five years. We are evangelical, genuinely trying to hold word and spirit, charismatic and conservative, together. And there are giants of tension and potential division in such, uh, in such a position. But we will fill a niche in this great city for Bible-believing Christians who want a little more freedom than a more sharply branded form of evangel evangelicalism might allow. And I believe that it should be our vision to maintain that position, presenting an intelligent defense of biblical Christianity with integrity and humility, unashamedly proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Lord, uh, but also recognizing that people who come under the Lordship of Jesus will work out their own way of following Him. We're all on spiritual journeys, and there will be more freedom than perhaps in some for us to explore different ways in which we travel on our spiritual journey. Of course, crucially, to assist us with this challenge, we've begun the process uh, of seeking a new associate minister, and the advertisement uh, was in the Church of England newspaper this week. That is a challenge for us, for our finances, of course, as well. So we want to maintain who we are, an inclusive evangelical church. Secondly, it is essential for us to have the headquarters from which we can be the people that God wants us to be. We must sort out a permanent replacement for our uh, church extension, Southside. Now, I'm not going to dwell on this uh, very, uh, uh, this very much this morning because we have a very important meeting of the church council tomorrow uh, to find the way forward. But I will say again, as I've said, I think in every Vision Day sermon since I got here, that we have to have a permanent building to replace Southside. We can't keep Southside forever. We need the space that Southside provides. We simply cannot do the work that God is calling us to do without the facilities to do it. And I believe that in the next five years, and I hope much sooner than that, uh, we will be able to replace that building. I suppose the great giant out there opposing this is the fact of recession. That's the threat, isn't it? We're fearful of recession. We can't raise the money in a recession. That's the giant in the land. But how marvelous it would be to demonstrate how important we see providing a gospel headquarters for the next generation by achieving this in the midst of an economic downturn. Would that not be itself a great witness? Winston Churchill uh, told Roosevelt, give us the tools. In 1941, he said, give us the tools and we will finish the job. And I echo his sentiment. We simply need 
the tools. Last week I attended a church in the north of England en route to Scotland. It was quite a large church. It could seat 350 people. It had a congregation of 35 uh, there for the, for, the, for the Sunday morning. I was not envious of them, but they had a church hall to die for. I was, <laughs> I was envious of that. So we need to sort that out, and we need to do it uh, quite soon. It was quite interesting yesterday at Dan and Laura's wedding. We had, we had 250 or 300 people at their wedding. It was a wonderful Christian wedding at uh, Dan, Christian, and Laura May. And um, afterwards, they had a brief sort of pre-reception reception in the parish room here. And um, they had terrific eats, and they had, you know, really lovely setup. All sorts of people from Discuss helping them. Honestly, it was, the black hole of Calcutta would have seemed quite similar, civilized in comparison to trying to get a cup of tea uh, in there yesterday. We just have not got the room we need. Well, those are my two things. Having established who we are and having recognized the importance of having an appropriate headquarters from which to operate, what are we going to do? These are my four points. They're not new. I, I think they're probably non-negotiable. I think most people here totally buy into these four things. This is what I believe our vision for the church is. We must continue the strong emphasis that we put on reaching the next generation for Christ. This is the territory that God has set before us very specifically as a church. And I'm saying that I'm not undervaluing the crucial work that we do with adults through the house groups, through discuss, through Alpha, through the men's and women's work, of course through the lunch club and outlook for the elderly folk and so on. I'm not underestimating that at all. But God has given us at St. Andrews a very specific and important outreach to young people and children. You don't need really me to say this at this service because many of you have traveled quite a long way to be here this morning because you recognize that that is the case. But for our young people and children, there are giants in the land for sure. There is the giant of secular materialism that sweeps through our educational system. There is the culture of sensuality that sexualizes even quite young girls and makes living as a Christian really hard for our young people. We need to be a church that provides strong peer group for Christian children and uh, to bring in their non-Christian friends into, where they can have a real encounter with Jesus and where they can determine to live their lives by Christian values in a very countercultural thing to be doing over the next few years. Now, it's not the case that this is so in, in many other churches. I had lunch recently with the recently appointed and aforementioned rector of Buckingham, our, for, our, our former curate, Will, Will has a congregation of about 100 in the morning service at Buckingham, and of, of that 100, six are children, and three of them are his own. That, that is the contrast that he has. That is the difference between us and most churches. Many people here travel some distance so that they can bring their children here. God, by His Spirit, has given us a vision for this next-generation territory. So please increase your standing order. We're challenging people to give 10% more. In the midst of recession, give a, this is the moment actually for Christians to give more, not less, because it's tighter. This is the moment to demonstrate our faith by giving more. We must be able to keep employing our families and children's workers, our youth workers, our schools workers. We must maintain this work. It's crucially important. So we're calling on the 10th of the 10th of the 10th. I hope you've spotted that that's the date. 10, 10, 10. We're calling, asking you to increase your standing order, increase your giving to St. Andrews by 10% as an act of faith and as a statement that we believe in the vision of the church. 
That's my challenge to you, as well as, of course, to get the gift day next week. But the ongoing work to the general fund we could do with 10% more in order to maintain this crucial work. So young people and children. Second piece of territory that we need to occupy is cut slow. And you've heard a little bit about it. JAM is the meeting for young people that happens uh, for the first time this week after much prayer and work in the Cutslow Community Association, actually in the heart of the estate. And this is territory that we must claim for Jesus. This is a place to which we must cross over, where the Spirit is leading us. And I think many of you know only too well how the Spirit is opening all sorts of doors for us there. And next week you'll hear of all that God is doing through our workers there and in partnership with others on that needy estate. The aim is transformation of that society as people are cared for and helped. You, you may hardly have noticed when John said in that uh, DVD that uh, one girl has going from GCSEs to do A-levels in Charwell School, and the first one from the social housing on that for five or six years to get into the sixth form. That's the level of educational challenge and social deprivation that we're dealing with. So these are lovely, lovely people who need loving and caring and help. And the kind of ministry that has started there can easily peter out. You can start well, and then it can just fade away. This must not be the case. We need to establish the permanent presence of a vibrant, locally-led Christian community on the estate. That will involve working with others, and it's really exciting to see how our partnership with the other churches through the Cutslow Church Partnership, our good relationships with the Jesus Army, and much improved relationships with the Community Association are really helping us uh, to, uh, to get the work established. So please give generously for the gift day next year. There are giants in the land in Cutslow, giants of opposition, the giants of drug dependence, the, giant, the giants of alcohol addiction, the giants of teenage pregnancy, the giants of broken families. It is extremely difficult to live for Jesus in those circumstances. They need our help and our prayers, and humbly, we need to be there. Cutslow must be a priority in our vision. Thirdly, we must uh, try to plant or graft. Plant, when you talk about planting a church, you're talking about the creation of a new Christian community. When you talk about a graft, you're talking about a group of people going from one church to stand alongside an existing church and, and strengthen their arm. We need to plant or graft at least two new evangelical churches in or near North Oxford, hopefully with full official diocesan backing. I uh, allowed myself to go on a virtual journey in preparation of this uh, sermon. I started my virtual journey at Carfax in the middle of Oxford. And if you drive north from Carfax, you will go through the parish of St. Michael and Northgate, and then you'll go through the parish of Mary Magdalene, then you'll go through St. Giles and St. Margaret's, then you'll come through St. Andrew's, or go through the edge of it, depends which side of the Banbury Road you're driving on. If you're driving north, you're actually out of the parish. But if you're driving south, you're in the parish. But I'm going north on my virtual journey, so I'm in St. Margaret's Parish. I'm then in the parish of St. Michael's Summertown. I then go back into St. Peter's Wolvercote for a little bit. And then I'm into Kidlington, St. John's and St. Mary's Kidlington. And then I go out through the north of Kidlington, and I see a signpost to... Oh, 10 or 12 villages as I drive between here and Deddington and Adderbury. I go through Deddington and Adderbury, and I arrive at Banbury. 
all those communities have got Anglican churches in them of one sort or another. And I don't decry that many of them may be doing good work. Many of them may be making a difference in their community. But not one of those churches, not one of those churches between Carfax and Banbury would claim to be an Anglican evangelical church. And we are told repeatedly that the great thing about the Anglican church is its much vaunted breadth. I don't see much breadth there. I don't see that there's much breadth when there's one Anglican evangelical church packed to the doors between here and Banbury. It seems to me there is a tremendous need, just as there was 103 years ago when this church was established to provide what they then called a low church presence amongst the prevailing ritualism of all the other North Oxford churches. So I believe now that we have a responsibility to see that this much vaunted breadth of the Church of England is more fairly represented beyond our parish boundaries. And I promise you that given time and energy, I will not cease to knock on doors, bend ears and pray that God use us as a church to provide vibrant, evangelical, Anglican witness beyond our parish boundaries. It is a nonsense to be restrained by these ancient lines. Apart, obviously, from the fact that we're committed to the truth of the biblical record and the proclamation of Christ crucified, it's the, it's the observable fact that the churches that are truly orthodox in their theology are much fuller than those of a more liberal persuasion. They are much fuller. And so we must reproduce this, and there is a desperate need in our area around here. It is madness for the Church of England not to back these plants and grafts, and we need to have it clearly as part of our vision, a vision that we share with the other vibrant Anglican churches in our city, incidentally. Lastly, we must continue the strong emphasis in the church on mission and missions support. A large number of people who come to St. Andrews are in their 20s and 30s, and have still to start families, especially at the 6 o'clock service, but also quite a few at 11.15, and of course there'll be some of you here as well. Most of those people have got their working lives ahead of them. Uh, and I'm not necessarily uh, just talking about challenging people to go into full-time Christian work. What I'm saying is that people who are in, whether in secular employment or whether they are in considering full-time ministry, need to think in terms of being salt and light in the community. We are thrilled here at St. Andrews that Wycliffe Hall is in our parish. We enjoy a close partnership with Wycliffe Hall. We're thrilled that there are always quite a lot of people in our congregations who are training for full-time ministry. There are others who are actively considering going into full-time missions work in this country and in other parts of the world. But all of us are mission partners. Whether you're working in a laboratory in the university, whether you're working in a school, whether you're working in a factory or an office, whether you're working at home in your neighborhood, we are all mission partners, and we need to be a mission-focused church. We turn over about 25% of people a year, because people come through Oxford all the time. So we're always sending people out. We must be, the vision of St. Andrews must be that we're constantly prepared, even encouraging our very best to go out and make a difference for God somewhere else. Not that we want to get rid of people, but we want to send people in the power of the Spirit in the same way in which the Church of Antioch sent out Paul, and what a difference that has made to the world. We need to be challenging people, whether in secular employment or whether in full-time Christian work, to stand tall for Christ and to go where the Spirit 
blows them to go, not to stay always in the safe comfort zone of St. Andrews. We must be ascending church. Perhaps I've been more specific than usual on these occasions. Of course, there is much more that could be said. There are many other aspects to our church's life than I've talked about here, not least to urge a greater commitment to pray both together and individually. It was really rather thrilling yesterday for the PCC to have a morning together praying and just listening to God and then hearing how people had been encouraged by that time just by taking space out to pray individually and together. How, how I urge you to consider making room for that in your life, not missing the prayer meeting, making sure that prayer happens. But I want to close by giving you just four words and I want us to read together from Scripture. I want, if you would, to turn to Ephesians chapter uh, 6. Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament. You'll find a Bible in front of you in the pew. It is page uh, 1177. 1177. How are we going to fulfill this vision? How are we going to do it? Well, I'm not going to preach another sermon, but I'm going to give you four words and I want us to read together. My four words are these. Fight for the gospel. In this generation, the time has come for us to fight for the truth of the gospel, to argue for it, to stand tall for it. Was it not, is it not thrilling? Is your heart thrilled? When you, this week, we're going to be praying for these miners in Chile to be, to be rescued. Is it not thrilling to see that a third of those are Bible-believing Christians? Amongst them is a lay preacher down in the mine with them. Above the, uh, on the top of the mine shaft, there are regular prayer meetings. It is every single one of the miners has been sent down a Bible so that they can have there. Here is, is it, does it not thrill you when the gospel is not only heard, but it is seen to be making a difference in people's lives? We need to fight for the truth of the gospel on which we base our lives. So fight for the gospel. We need to depend on the Spirit's power and not on our own strength. We need to pray at all times, and we need to give to the work. Fight, depend, pray, and give. I want you to read together. We want to read together as I close from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. Can we read this all together? And then we're going to sing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With, all my with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints.